Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. Uh, Jeremy, um, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, Neil, something which will be very useful for a lot of our listeners. We are going to give them some application tips and tricks to maximize their chances of getting into university. Now, the whole world loves tips and tricks, so this should be absolutely awesome. Uh, so let's get to it. So tips and tricks, as I said before, it's just everyone loves a good set of tips and tricks. Are you going to just solve all the problems all at once? Well, regular listeners will know that most podcast episodes have a Jeremy's tips somewhere in there, but this is an inspired episode of tips. So stay tuned, folks. This listen to episode. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on all of this. Okay, well, there are many ways to maximize your chances of getting into university. They're the obvious ones, like having awesomely high grades. <laughs> but then again, there are others that often get overlooked by students and can really be of advantage to you. Based on over 20 years of experience in college counseling, we are going to share a few of these tips and tricks with you. I think probably the best place to start would be, you know, a little. Hang on a bit of setting priorities. 20 years? Yeah. So only 20? Come on. Well, that is more than 20. I've, I've, <laughs> oh, so you're I yourself, oh, oh, come on. I am. I'm a history major, not a math major. You think I'm sad enough to keep count of stuff like that, Neil? Let's just say a very long time and leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We're okay, then. So, setting. Okay, setting. Oh, drum roll. Okay, so let's get down to the basics. <laughs> Obviously, you have to decide where you want to go and study. And there are a few priorities. Uh, because setting priorities narrows things down and really focuses you on a place where you can maximize your advantages so you can get in more easily. So, uh, Jeremy, first of all, I've, I've learned which... from you that this is just so important, isn't it? It is. It's extremely important that you take these first few steps. Otherwise, nothing else is really going to work very well for you. Here's the obvious one. Which language do you want to study in? Now, a lot of our listeners are multilingual. Well, take your pick. Which one do you find easiest? Because this is an English language podcast, I guess probably most of you will opt for English as the answer to that question. Then again, which country? Different lifestyles in different English-speaking countries. Then, of course, there are many other countries around the world that offer university education in English, and we've certainly done some episodes around that topic. Which subject? Now, this is really important because you are going to be spending thousands of hours studying that subject or subjects. And we would like to think you're going to enjoy your studies and not just sort of be sitting in the lecture hall surreptitiously glancing at your watch, thinking, how much longer have I got to endure this? No, you need to get in there and you need to enjoy what you're studying. And then beyond that, you know, the whole environment, you have to go and live there. So big city, small city, campus, university. And, and then, of course, another really important. This, yeah? Yeah. Yes, they do. Yes. They often think, oh, you know, the course is really important. But, you know, if you look at places, for example, anywhere like the States or Canada or, or the UK, the choice of location 
really determines everything about your life, doesn't it? While you're in the university. It does. You know, British Columbia is a good example. You, know? you can you could be in, in UBC, in the city centre of Vancouver, or you can be at the University of Northern British Columbia, which is actually near the Arctic Circle. And is south, in, I think, a place called Whitehorse. And, you know, one word makes a lot of difference to the way you live your life. And so it's very important to identify the kind of place you're looking for. I think it's absolutely critical because, as you rightly point out, Neil, you don't just study at university, you actually have to go and live there. And so please pick a place you like. Why not? It doesn't make sense to do it any other way. And then, of course, then we have to look at the costs, you know, tuition fees plus living costs. You need to have a conversation with your parents about this, find out what the budget is, how much they're willing to spend on you. And this will help you narrow down your list of possible universities to apply yeah. to. And I so think one of the things, having sort of, one of the things yeah. that I noticed there is that you know, people underestimate the living costs that they often. Yeah, they do. Yes. They just glance at the tuition fees and then proceed. Oh, but and, I mean, know, living costs. Thousand, well. We can manage that. But in reality, a huge chunk of the costs attached to uh, living costs be that accommodation, food, and of course, flights as well. I mean, if you were to go to a university that costs you 15,000, I don't know, say UK or somewhere like that, you're going to add another 10, 12,000 on the top of your living costs easily, yeah. Yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah. So you do have to add those two numbers together. Now I've just outed myself and said, I'm not a math graduate, but even I can do those sums <laughs> and the two numbers are going to be very that's, different. That, that makes so, feel so. comfortable. Oh, good. On, on you go. Okay. So, so after you've sort of got through these basics, you need to match your grades that you're achieving in school with the entry requirements on the university's website. You now, mean not everyone it's a good idea to be. Keenil, no. It is really amazing because. You know, if you're an IB student, I mean, Oxford University is looking for about sort of 41, 42 points, usually somewhere around about that. If you've only got 27 points, then I don't think you'll be going to Oxford, at least not the famous one in England. There might be another place called Oxford somewhere, but it won't, it won't be the Oxford University. <laughs> there probably is one somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing wrong with being ambitious, but you do have to match this with a certain degree of realism. But as you'll be applying to multiple universities, what I'm about to say is a really good sort of process or tactic for you. You can have one or two, which are asking for grades a little higher than you have. These are called reach schools or reach universities, but these have to be balanced with universities asking for grades a little lower than you have. And these are called safety schools or safety universities. And then of course you've got some in the middle as well. So you do need to have a careful look at all this because at the end of the day, you actually want to be offered a place at university. So you do have to, if you like, play the game cleverly. Oh, and have a plan B just in case you don't walk straight into Oxford University first time around. Um, yeah, that's really important. It is after all a competitive so, business. 
Very important. Regard, regardless of your grades, you may not get in for whatever reason. And yeah. especially in courses that are oversubscribed. You know, universities are making decisions not just on grades, but on, you know, all sorts of other criteria. Male, female balance, diversity, the whole gamut. And so you just can't assume that if you've got the grades, you're going to get in, can you? Yeah, I mean, you may be a top student, but then, of course, everyone else applying is also a top student. Um, and there just simply are not enough places for all the top students to go there. What, what else should Plan B. Look at? Well, we sort of talk, talked about having sort of a, a plan B, if you like. A plan sure. B, I should point out the obvious, is that you need to apply to more than one university. Otherwise, you've only got a plan A and not a plan B. So you do need to have a couple of ones, which are a little bit easier. So what else do students look at? Well, a lot of students look at the rankings. Oh. Now, this is where it gets interesting. If you want to go to a prestigious big name university like Oxford, Cambridge, the Ivy Leagues, then you don't need us to tell you it's going to be highly competitive. Right. Surprisingly, you can use the rankings in a different way. Suppose you look at the rankings for a particular subject. And that way, determine which is the top university for you and your subjects. And here's an example of what we mean by this. If you want to go and study international relations politics at the University of Cambridge, they will ask for between 40 and 42 points, and they are ranked number three in the UK. Okay. If you want to go and study international relations and politics at the University of St. Andrews, they only want 36 to 38 points. However, they are ranked number one in this subject. Now, there's an interesting thought. Yes, it is. is. Yes. And it's incredible. So important. use these it's rankings. Really, it is. really mm. important, especially uh, in niche areas, because employers know what universities are good at, what particular area they are interested in. And so, you know, people will know that St. Andrews is top quality when it comes to that particular subject and so you know you really can play that game it's a great tip it's a super top tip yes and uh, this applies to many subjects i mean if you want to go and study something like forestry marine biology you know it's not going to be oxford or cambridge it's going to be somewhere else in terms of marine biology it'll almost certainly be a coastal city whichever country you're located in for obvious reasons so do think a little bit about this, about where would be the best place for you to go. Now, to help you with this, it's a great idea to have a look at the universities which are highly ranked in your subject, and then also have a look at their percentage of graduates who have a job within six months of graduating, because that is really the end deal here, because you're going to university to prepare yourself for a job. And if your university is successful in getting people into jobs, then it's really something to look at carefully. Right. I mean, you have to put a small caveat there with courses that are focused around master's degrees, follow-ups, aren't there? Because many courses yeah. almost assume that you're going to go on and do a master's nowadays. That's very true. I think you, you should sort of plan to do a master's already if you're going to on a bachelor program sure and any more top tips any other areas come on i'm sure you haven't run out well of 
Oh, not by a long way, Neil. Combines courses. Now, these are quite interesting. So, well, so you set your heart on studying law at a top university. However, your predicted IB grades are one point short of what the university is asking for. Why not consider doing a major in law and a minor in some less popular subjects? A typical example of this would be to combine your major with a language. Now, there are lots of students qualified to study law, and some of them may have better grades than you. However, there are far fewer students qualified to study a foreign language, especially if you are applying to a British or American university. Thus, your chances will be improved because you can offer the university the qualifications that they're looking for to take someone in to do that or study that language. So by combining them, you managed to get your foot in the door. Yes. Yeah, it really is. And I think, uh, you know, you've talked about law, but, you know, engineering is another area, isn't it, where there are often areas, either combinations or even sort of subsections of engineering that people don't think about applying to and allow an easier route in. Yes, because understandably people want to apply to, you know, highly ranked universities for engineering and other subjects too. But supposing you want to study engineering at one of Britain's top universities, however, you don't have the right mix of subjects. Maybe you took the wrong IB math course. Perhaps your predicted grades are too low. There's a lot of reasons why you might not fulfill their requirements. However, don't despair. There is a solution to this problem. Apply for a foundation course. This means that you take an extra year on the front of your three-year bachelor program. And during that year, you can make good any deficiencies in your academic profile and then move smoothly on to study your dream subject at a top university. Um, so I've got a little example from... Year, it? it does add a year, yes, but I mean, well, okay, it's an extra year of time and cost. Three years instead of four, so and four is what's... Yeah, America's. so it becomes a four-year program, yeah. Do you have an example? Course? Foundation courses. I do, actually. I was thinking of engineering at Southampton University. Southampton is a huge engineering department. They do lots and lots of different types of engineering there. Now, if you want to study the, the standard Bachelor of Engineering, they demand that you have 38 IB Ouch. points. However, if you, yeah, well, that's a top university. But if you want to take the foundation degree in engineering with guaranteed progression into the bachelor program, then it's only 32 points. 38, 32. Now, that's big difference. That's more than a big difference. Worth looking at, I would say. That's a life-changing difference for many people, isn't it? It is, yeah, because a lot of people are between 32 and 38 and would exactly. love to go to Southampton. So this is a way you can get in. And it's not the only one by any means. Lots of universities offer this option. Okay. And your next top tip, my good, I'm, I'm in shock. So many wonderful ideas in one episode. Perhaps we should spread them all well, out. But no, it's fantastic. That's probably, probably why we had the word tips in the title of this episode, Neil. All the tips in one place. Yes. That, sometimes it's easier to apply to an overseas campus rather than the home-based campus. Now, we did make an episode on, on this 
Well, a lot of universities from the US, UK, Canada, Australia, et cetera, have an overseas campus, often located in the Middle East or Asia. And it's always worth checking to see if they have easier admissions requirements than the home-based campus. And then you can go on and look to see whether they're... um, uh, A young man who combined both of those top tips and he, he did a foundation year in... Harriet Watts University for Engineering in Dubai, and then has moved on into the degree in Dubai, and will soon be graduating as an engineer with a Harriet Watts uh, degree, which is a high quality uh, university uh-huh. in Scotland, uh, for those of people who don't know it. And he had significantly lower grades than would be required uh, to study in the UK campus. So it's a, a very good hint, uh, Jeremy. And also significantly lower fees, tuition fees. Significantly lower. And so it's a win. Yes. And let's be honest about it. You don't need to go to Scotland. You can be in Dubai. And for some of us, including 99% of all young people, uh, Dubai might be a more attractive option. I love Scotland, Neil. My grandfather came from there. It's a wonderful place. As long as you don't mind cold, dark, wet and windy the entire winter and half the summer as well. (laughs) Oh, okay. The climate. (laughs) Yeah, the climate is a bit different. Edinburgh or Dubai. I've been to both. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the pictures (laughs) around Edinburgh are very lovely. Well, they are. But you just have have to wear one of those thick heads. Yeah. Wetsuit. That's what you need. By the way, St. Andrew's University in Scotland, which we're talking about just now, just a few miles up the coast from Edinburgh, on May the 1st, they have this thing called May Dip, where they all go and dip themselves in the North Sea. I think it's about plus three water temperature. There must be a few sane individuals who don't uh, partake of this. I should point out it's not mandatory to do so, but (laughs) I've seen the pictures, a lot of them go in. Anyway, this is not one of my top tips, Neil, to throw yourself in the North Sea in the middle of the winter. No. Yes. All right. Let's stick with Dubai, shall we? Next top tip. All right. Tuition fees. Now, we've just been talking a little bit about that. If you are struggling to apply to a university that has very low or even free tuition, if yes, it's quite likely that university will be receiving a large number of applicants because of their low tuition fees. You could consider applying to a private university or one that has higher tuition fees, as the financial implications of higher tuition fees almost certainly mean fewer applicants, as not everyone can afford to pick a price. Now, this, of course, presupposes that your parents have the money to pay the higher price. But again, that's a conversation you need to have with them. Understood, but it's a good point to make, isn't it? You know, it's a supply and yes. demand thing going on there, and uh, you know, when the cost is high, then the demand will be naturally lower than somewhere where the price is is uh, more affordable. Good. Any other top tips while we're at it? Oh, don't worry. We we, we haven't run out of top tips yet, Neil. Be adventurous. Yeah, be adventurous. If you, yes, 
And well, if you start off with the idea you want to study in a country with English as the language of instruction and simultaneously has relatively high tuition fees, then you may want to shop around a bit and look at countries that also have English as the language of instruction, but lower tuition fees. And there are you, plenty of such mean? countries. What do you mean by that? I haven't got that yet. Give me well, I mean, I think, okay, I think most people um, are aware that some countries charge a lot more money than others. So let's look at a couple of scenarios here. If you are an EU citizen and you're thinking about studying in the UK, however, you or your parents have decided that it is now too expensive, which nevertheless, your well parents would like case. you, it could well be, yeah, but your parents would like you to stay in Europe. Okay. So what are the options? There are actually lots of options. European countries that have English as their national language, apart from the UK. Here's a quiz for you, Neil. Let's see how good you are. Can you name three okay. countries that have English as the official a language? A, uh, trivial pursuit question, isn't it? This certainly is. Okay, the UK, obviously, that one doesn't count. What other no. European countries use uh, English as the official language? Ireland. Southern Ireland. Ireland, yes. Okay. And now I'm being switched. Uh, I know. Can you tell me? Can you help me? Okay, think Mediterranean area. Oh, I know. I went there on holiday once. Malta. They speak English. Malta, yes. Don't they? They do and, indeed. Um, yeah. Maybe even Cyprus. Is, am I right? And Cyprus, yes. Yeah, because Cyprus... And uh, then... Go on. Yeah, I was going to say also Gibraltar. I know it's a British colony, so it may be cheating a little bit, but they do have a university there and, and they speak English. So there's lots of opportunities for you to shop around. Um, but these countries, and then there are other European countries that have a lot of courses taught in English. The Netherlands is probably the best known example. The Scandinavian countries, Germany, Austria, Belgium, France. Indeed, most European countries have at least some courses taught in English and the tuition fees for EU citizens are either free or very low, certainly lower than the UK. So if you want to study in English and stay in Europe, there you go, shop around. And you said you had another scenario. So that's, two scenarios. that's scenario one. Let's go for scenario two. Let's assume you're not an EU citizen and the tuition fees in Europe are still too high. Now look further afield, particularly in the Asian countries. Right. Our top tips here would be check out the Philippines or Malaysia or Hong Kong or India. These are all countries that have English as an official national language. And of course, the universities offer courses in English. And you will certainly be able to find very affordable university courses in those countries. Right. And they're great top tips, that one. That really is. Because the more we've been doing this podcast, the, the more I've understood that the options are many and diverse, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Just, as I said, be adventurous, shop around and then decide yeah, where you'd like to go, how much you want to pay, those are the questions. And we'll be doing a range of episodes on those lesser-known countries uh, later on this year. So if you're interested, uh, keep uh, listening because um, I know that we've got on our, uh, on our release board at least episodes on Philippines and Malaysia and Japan and all of these places. Uh, uh, and that could be something... For you as a student, uh, if you're falling into that group. 
I have a question for you. Often I feel that you might have an advantage if you start early. Does that, Where do you get that idea from, Neil? You must be just been listening to me every episode as they start early. The fact that you are played all over the time. But does this actually increase your chance of being accepted? Depends on the system. There are some systems where, for example, in the UK, so long as you apply by the January deadline, all of those applicants, whether they apply in September or January, they're all treated equally. Now there are other systems that have like rolling admissions. So they open up their admissions portal on the website, let's say in September, and then people start applying and they keep offering places until they're all filled up. So obviously if it's a rolling admissions scenario, then it's a good idea to get in there early before all the places are filled. And those are sort of the two extremes I would say, but you know, Stepping away from actually getting into university and your chances, I think it's a good idea to do these earlier because it takes the pressure off you. During your final year in school, you're going to be doing an awful lot of academic work. And if you can just get this task of applying to university out of the way, and nightly, you're going to be getting some offers coming through, it sort of takes the pressure off you and you feel as if you are moving forward and achieving success. Whereas those who procrastinate and leave it to the last possible moment are really sort of storing up pressure for themselves. So this is the main reason why I suggest that you do it early. May I throw in another reason, which is to do with housing? We've done a range of episodes uh, yeah. in season one, haven't we? Where uh, pretty much everybody, all the universities we've spoken to in our university spotlight series have said the same thing, which is, you know, if you want housing, you're going to have to be early or quick. Yes, it, it's a good point because the universities have a, obviously a limited amount of housing. Some universities guarantee housing to first year students coming in from abroad. But nevertheless, if you want the best housing or housing at all, then you need to make an application for housing. And that means you have to, first of all, make an application to the university for an academic program and be accepted. And then you make an application for housing. So the quicker you get started with this, the better. Okay. And have you got any more? Come on, my goodness. This is a great list. Well, yeah. I mean, hips galore today. Make use of the resources available in your school. Now, this is probably fairly obvious, but a lot of people overlook this fact. Talk to your college counselor. Reach out and talk to former students. This is always very interesting. Because when you read websites, websites are basically marketing tools for a university, which is a business, but just talk to some of the students, maybe some students who are a year or two older than you and have gone from your school to that university, people that you sort of vaguely knew in school, just have a chat with them online and find out, you know, do they like it there? What are the pluses and minuses of that particular university? So that's an important thing. Another sort of tip is your recommendation letters. Now, a lot can ride on recommendation letters because a lot of students apply with very good grades, but recommendation letters can really sort of tip the balance in your favor. I would suggest that you go and talk to your teachers and your college counselor, explain what it is you're applying for, right. and then follow up with an email about all the wonderful things you've done. Now, I've written thousands of recommendation letters. And it makes my job much, much easier 
if the student feeds me some information about what he or she has been doing, both in school and out of school, it gives me the raw material to construct a really top class recommendation letter. Because teachers and counselors don't know everything about you. Oh, and don't leave this to the last minute either. Because if your college counselor is going on vacation in the winter vacation, and you've got a January the 1st US college deadline, it's not a great idea to send them an email on Christmas Day or New Year's Eve mean, or something. You mean start early might be good advice here as well? Oh, yeah. I've actually had students contact me on December the 31st <laughs> in the evening, and the deadline is midnight. <laughs> I know. Listen, seriously, yeah. if you want a good recommendation letter, you have to... First of all, talk to your counselor or teacher. You have to give them some information. You also have to give them enough time to write it. You know, it's not like they can write it over their morning coffee break. It needs to be done well and drafted and redrafted because you do, of course, want a good recommendation letter. Yeah, now I happen to believe that course choice is something that students don't pay enough attention to. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, a student might be applying for sort of economics at university A and economics at university B, but you, you really need to sort of think this thing through because it's they're not so going to be uh, identical. It? Yeah. Because you want to know what you're signing up for and you yeah. can't discover that unless you actually dig into the website and find out what units you'll be doing year one, year two, year three. And so it's a very important piece of research for you. And, and also see sort of what, digging see down what into, extras on. Uh, it could be a yeah. course outline or it could be syllabus details. It's that kind of thing, isn't it, on the website? Yeah, it is. And of course, the extras like you know, internships, exchange programs, all of these play a, a very important role in your decision as to which course you're going to apply for, which university. Right. Well, that's been great. Absolutely amazing. And I guess if students followed those tips, they'd come a long way to actually finding their best future at university, wouldn't they? They would, yes. I, I mean, as a little tip for you to finish up with, I would suggest you make a spreadsheet and you enter the following information on it. Obviously, name of university, name of course, entry requirements, tuition fees, application deadlines, and then sort of add-ons like whether you can do internships, exchange programs, all of these things. And I would say those are the minimum pieces of information that you should have on your spreadsheet. But just sort of to finally finish up, I would say this, there's always a place for you. There's a place for everyone. You just need to get out there and do your research, make your applications respond to any communications from the universities and keep in close contact with your college counselor. Right. And that and way you'll be successful in landing I've, a place. I've noticed is perhaps be careful about the number of places you apply to as well. <laughs> yes. This is a question I often get asked, you know, how many applications should I make? Some schools actually restrict you. They don't let you do multiple applications or they let you do too many. In the school where I work, we actually let students apply to as many places as they wish, but I always urge them, you know, it's going to be a lot of time, a lot of work for you. And if you think carefully about your priorities, 
then you can really focus in on universities that match your needs. And this Indeed, is really the key. And to I think all that's a great piece of advice as well, because, you know, often students who sort of do a blanket application process often haven't done the thinking up front, have they? And they're sort of throwing out applications. Whereas if you really think about things carefully, and of course, learn by listening to our podcasts, uh, we happen to have an unbelievable collection of episodes now around almost every aspect to do with this world, then you won't need to apply to 20, 30 universities because you'll have the clarity you require. It's a good point, Neil. I mean, your chances of being accepted to a particular university don't change if you've applied to 28 others or only three others. The chances of that individual university remains a constant. So you don't actually need to go out and apply to crazy numbers of universities. You just have to make sure that you sort of meet their entrance requirements. And it's a place you actually want to go to. Don't apply anywhere unless you're serious about going there. Yeah. And I guess that's why we call the podcast, find your best future, right? Because in the end, it is about doing that, identifying that place, that special place for you. Thank you, Jeremy. That was amazing. Wonderful. And I'm sure that it will become a top 10 episode in Spotify or whatever. What are you up to this evening? Are you uh, uh, pizza wine, sushi? Cook yourself some exotic dish? Uh, you know, give us a quick update. Actually, no. It's going to be leftovers. Yeah. Oh, well, you let me a nice know. little, a nice little Indian dish that my wife cooked for me. Now you're going to ask me what it's called. I don't know. It's pretty tasty. So European <laughs> Indian. Something like that. Is, yes. is it very spicy? But that's definitely one of them. Not too spicy, no. I don't do super hot, spicy curries. Medium is about my limit. Hey, I'm the man for hot and spicy curries. Anyway, whatever you I know you are. I know. Enjoy. <laughs> and uh, thank you again. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Neil. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast.